Father God, thank you so much that you are our God, that you are our vision, that you are over all, that there is nothing too hard for you, nothing unseen by you. And so this morning, as we talk about answered and unanswered prayers, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak through us and to us and be able to guide us and direct us and teach us what we're needing to learn. Please accomplish your purposes for us in this time and help us to just be very attentive to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I hope that each one of you are doing well today. How are you? I'd love to be able to look into your eyes and actually see how you're doing. I see your faces and I'm like, oh, I'd love to give you a hug. Um, but we're at a distance from one another. And so I just send my, my love to you guys and, and my prayers. I read a, a story yesterday in the news that was particularly disturbing to me. And that was from the country of Brazil. When my husband and I were missionaries with MAF and he was flying on the border of Brazil and Venezuela, we served the Yanomami people. And yesterday it was announced that a young Yanomami teenage woman has been discovered to have the COVID-19. It's just so hard to think about that illness, um, finding a place in such a deep, jungle distant from so many population centers it's hard to understand how in the world it got there but i know that we're being impacted by that illness and i just want you to know that we are thinking and praying for you as you face it in your own way in your own circumstances circumstances like this often drive us to prayer and today we're going to look at two individuals who were driven to prayer and so you can look at the scripture there from Luke 7, 1 to 17, that's in your retreat handbook. When Jesus finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, <clears throat> don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve you to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. <clears throat> when Jesus heard this he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him he said, I tell you I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As they approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. 
Then he went and he touched the bear. They were carrying him on and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. So I want us to start by looking at the centurion. He was an unwelcomed military leader in Israel, an invader, an occupier, but also a man who cared deeply for the community that he oversaw. When his servant was ill, he enlisted others to go to Jesus on his behalf and to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. But something happened and he had a change of heart. We don't know why, but maybe he felt all of a sudden that it was presumptuous for him to even ask Jesus to leave the crowds of people, the multitude who were listening to Jesus and spending time with him. Maybe he felt like I shouldn't really ask him to come to see me. And maybe he realized that, um, Jews and Gentiles, they didn't really spend a lot of time together because maybe somebody clued him into the fact that the Jews had these cleanliness practices and religious separation mandates that kept Jews apart from Gentiles. For whatever reason, he decided to send additional friends to go after the ones that, had originally, that he had originally sent to stop Jesus from coming, but to still make the request. He told his friends to tell Jesus to just order the sickness away, just as he would order his soldiers to do what they needed to do. When Jesus heard the friends speak on the centurion's behalf, he was stunned. Never, he said, have I found such great faith in all of Israel. And from a distance, he healed the servant. The, ser the centurion's intercessory prayer was the prayer we pray for another. It was bold, it was confident, it was imaginative, and it was full of faith. So keep that in mind. The second person in this short passage had a completely different story. Jesus came upon the widow outside the main city gate. She was weeping, she was distraught. There was a crowd with her mourning the death of her only child. We can kind of imagine this a little bit better these days as we see bodies being removed from hospitals and being given to their family members. It's a very sad, sad time around the world. But for this woman, she was a widow. She was alone, except that there was this crowd of people with her. But this was her, her family that she was laying to rest. While the centurion could imagine the healing of his servant, she could not imagine her son living again. And while the centurion had words to say, she didn't have any words. She only had her tears. He said his words through other people. She said her tears with her accompanying crowd of people with her. Her prayers were grief, without hope, without words, without confidence, without imagination, and without faith. If you were to draw a line between these two prayers, one would land on 10 for amazing faith and one would land on one for no faith. 
and yet they were both prayers. They were both honest, authentic, real prayers. We sometimes pray the number 10 prayer with lots of faith, and sometimes we are on our faces in prayer with no, no faith. We're just in tears. Sometimes we can imagine just exactly what we want Jesus to do. We clearly see the problem that we're confronted with, and we know exactly what God should do to solve the problem. We share our prayer requests with everyone, people that we can find that will pray with us. We storm heaven with our imagination of how we would like God to answer our prayers. We have lots of ideas to tell God about our dilemma and how he could change it. We kind of tell him what to do. We pray with our imagination, with confidence, with faith, and with boldness. And then there are those times when we have no words. We have no imagination. Our prospects look so bleak. Or we have already prayed over and over and over again. Our knees are raw from kneeling. And our hearts are broken from unanswered prayers. We weep. We have no tears. We have no imagination. We have no words. We have no faith. We have no confidence. I know you can think of examples of this friends and family members that you and I have had that struggle with infertility issues, children born who aren't going to live very long, parents taken from us too soon, the situation that we're dealing with now. We have all had those heart-wrenching times when we just cried out to God and all we were left with were our tears. Jesus heard the centurion's prayer um, his prayer through his words of his friends, and he saw the widow's tears. He answered both the spoken prayer and the unspoken prayer. He had compassion on the one who was able to articulate the need and the one who had given up on the need. He rewarded faith, and he answered even when there was no faith. In these two stories, we see that Jesus' compassion was and is great. His answer to both was just exactly what was needed because he is wise and compassionate. Yet these two contrasting stories illustrate perfectly the confusing mystery, the messy side of prayer. They show us that prayer cannot be tamed and put into a box. We go to passages like this and we want to find a formula. If I pray this way, then God will answer. But this story, these two stories tell us that our Lord is our, our Savior. He's our King of Kings. He is an amazing healer, but he does things his own way. He does not follow formulas. He cannot be manipulated by our behavior, even our prayer behavior. Often we can become confused about prayer. It's confusing when our really big, most important prayers, the ones we care the most about, go unanswered or are answered in ways that we would never choose. We struggle with the mystery of prayer. Scripture tells us to pray. It even teaches us how to pray. And over and over and over again, we read stories of God answering prayers. So it seems like an unsolvable mystery when our prayers go unanswered or are answered in ways that seem totally unacceptable to us. I want us to look back at this story in Luke 7. Besides the centurion and the widow, 
who else do you see? Right at the beginning, we see some elders of the Jews. What do you think that they were thinking when the centurion expressed his need and desire and asks? He was an outsider, an invader. He was so not a Jew. Did they wonder at his nerve at even asking Jesus? Were they shocked that Jesus was answering his prayer? What about their needs, the unmet desires of their hearts? Did this just seem unjust, unfair, just wrong to them? What about the friends in verse 6 and the disciples and the people traveling with Jesus? Did they have needs, people they would like to see healed? Did they feel a little bit abandoned, ignored, unseen, unheard? Did they want to say, Jesus, what about me? What about my needs? The widow was surrounded by friends, a gallery of people who watched Jesus as he brought her really beloved son back to life. Did they wonder, even as they rejoiced with her, if you can bring her son back to life, why didn't you keep her husband from dying? How come you let him die? Or did they love, have loved ones and friends of their own that had died that they wished that Jesus had intervened back then for them and given them their loved one back? Let's be real. We love it when Jesus responds with a yes to our prayers and we're so disappointed when he tells us no. And when we compare our prayers to other people's prayers, we can feel frustration and anger and bitterness when our prayers receive a no while other people celebrate this amazing yes. But friends, Jesus gets this. He gets this better than we get this. After all, he was in agony when he prayed in the garden. Drops of blood fell from his face when he asked God to be released from the task of dying for our sins on that very cruel cross. He knows what it's like to feel unanswered prayers. He went to the cross. God said no, he needed to die. And Jesus accepted that no, and he willingly gave his life for us. But on the cross, he felt that aloneness. He felt that unanswered prayer when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands. And so when we pray that same prayer, when we're so heartbroken over an unanswered prayer, we say, my God, my God, where are you? Why don't you save me? Why don't you save my loved one? Save us from this situation. Where are you, God? Jesus understands. He's been there. How do we respond when God says no to our prayers? I have a favorite, well-worn passage in my Bible that I go to when God says no to me. It reminds me that it's okay to be real about loss, about disappointment, the frustration, the anger, and grief. And ladies, honestly, it's important that we be real about our grief that we name our losses, that we mourn the things that are frustrating and cause us to be angry. We need to name them, not stuff them, not pretend that they don't exist. Habakkuk was an amazing model for this. And it reminds me in Habakkuk that while I can do this, there is more than those feelings to what I see, to what I feel, more than my unanswered prayer. So I'm going to read from Habakkuk 3, 16 to 19, and you've got it there in your notes. Though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see, that first, first half of that prayer is the lament of the grief, the lament of the fear, the knowledge that we are all going to starve to death. We are not going to have food to eat. And then he turns to worship, and he turns to surrender, and he worships our Lord. Habakkuk was a prophet in Judah, and throughout his book, Habakkuk wrote honestly about the suffering that was going to come to the nation. He wrote honestly about what was going to happen. Life was going to get incredibly ugly. It was going to get so bad. And Habakkuk was honestly terrified. Habakkuk knew that God was going to use the Babylonians to defeat Judah as a judgment on Judah for their sinfulness. In his book about this coming judgment, Habakkuk wrote to let his readers know about the horror. It's like he wanted to prepare them for the horrible sights that they were going to see, the horror that they were going to experience. But he didn't just want them to understand what was coming. He had a larger purpose than to foretell the horror. He wanted to let them know that there was more. There was more than judgment. There was more than being defeated. There was more than being taken into captivity, more than seeing family and friends killed mercilessly, more than the horrible suffering that they were going to go through. Habakkuk wrote to remind his readers that God would sustain those who trusted in him, even in the horror. I wonder, have you ever experienced God's sustaining power in horror? Habakkuk wanted his readers to know that God would deliver them someday. We want God to deliver us right now in the middle of whatever we are facing, but have you ever experienced God delivering you after a long period of suffering? Habakkuk wrote because he wanted to show that worship is possible even in horror. Can you think of a time when you were able to worship even in horror? Even as he wrote those passages, Habakkuk was terrified, terrified. He wrote that his heart pounded and his legs trembled. He felt decay creeping into his bones. I wonder, have any of you ever felt decay creeping into your bones? I had a COVID-19 dream last night and it felt like decay creeping into my bones. I've heard that there are some weird dreams out there these days and I had one last night and it was horrible, but for Habakkuk, it wasn't a dream. It was his real life and he was facing something so horrible Decay felt like it was creeping into his bones. But from that place of being honest about what he was really feeling, he prayed a prayer that was real, authentic, and leaned into the horror that was coming while holding on to hope. 
in this place between horror and hope, he was able to worship and praise. This is a prayer of lament, of sorrow, of grief, of fear, but it's also a prayer of surrendered worship. It's both and. And this is an invitation for us to, in our unanswered prayers, be able to live a both and, to face the horror and the grief while also worshiping. So let me read the prayer to you again. Though the fig tree does not bud, and think about that, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet. What a powerful word, word that is. Yet. We can say that. We can say this is what's going on in my life. Yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He, he, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Some of you are treading on some amazing heights right now. You have gotten out of that boat and you are walking on the water and the storm is fierce. But you are treading on the heights because the sovereign Lord is your strength and he has enabled you to walk where you're walking. And we praise him for that, though we wish he would answer the prayers about the storm. Habakkuk knew he could trust in the Lord, even in the horror that he was facing, even in the horror that was coming. He trusted God to sustain and to hold together those who trusted in him, even in this destruction. The suffering that Habakkuk was going through drew him to God. I don't know exactly what suffering you might be going through, but I know God wants to use that suffering, even though he did not cause it. He wants to use that suffering, redeem that suffering to draw you closer to himself. He wants to be your rock in times like this. The suffering that drew Habakkuk to God was a place that taught him to truly praise to truly worship from a place of surrender. And this is a place that Jesus, that God is inviting us to go to when he says no to us. And there are times when he does say no to us. If you were to put Habakkuk's prayer into your own words, what would the fig tree be? What would the blossoms with no fruit on the vines be? When I put Habakkuk's prayer into my own words, I'm able to be real about the unanswered prayers and the prayer that wasn't answered the way I really wanted it to be answered. I'm able to be real and honest about those things. I'm able to name them. And from naming them, I can lament. I can grieve. I can be led into a place of trust. Recently, I heard a message about this, and the pastor talked about how important it is to be able to lament, to be able to grieve. He said that when we don't lament and grieve, we can fall into a place where we wake up in the morning and we feel deep dread. Before we even have a thought in our mind, we have dread. But by honestly 
grieving and lamenting and turning to worship God, we are able to process better so we don't have to wake up with that dread. I thought the pastor was talking to me. I thought, oh, he's read my journal because that's exactly my experience. The last few weeks as we've been going through this time, I've been waking up in the morning with just that sense of, oh, something is wrong before I've even had a thought. And so that Sunday afternoon, evening, I took some time and I spent some time with the Lord naming my losses from this time, naming my griefs from this time. We live on the south side of Chicago. It's been a very hard hit area of our nation and many, many people are sick and many have lost loved ones. A man that I correspond with in the um, penitentiary nearby was taken by COVID. He was the first prisoner to die. His name was Big Fella. I never met him, but I felt his loss keenly. We are all facing incredible losses right now. There's a lot of reasons for us to wake up in the morning and have that sense of dread. But if we properly lament and grieve, then we'll be able to follow Habakkuk's example to us and be able to worship and praise God. When I pray this prayer, I am able to be authentic and worship my God. Authentic from a place of what's really happening and authentic in my worship for him. Both are true at the same time. We face really hard things in life. And in those times, our prayers may seem unanswered or answered in ways that we never chose. I have to say that Jesus knows. Jesus understands this so well. In our, our lives, we can know that we can go to him because he gets this. He faced incredible horror, deep agony, and death. Yet he entrusted himself to God, and he drew close to his Father as he surrendered his will to God. Hebrews 5, 7 says that um, the prayers that Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears were heard. The loud cries and prayers that Jesus prayed were heard. Your prayers of lament, your prayers of grief, your prayers that you pray loudly with tears are heard. Jesus still had to suffer and die. We may still have to go through really hard, hard times, things that we would rather not face, but our prayers are heard. Mary, the mother of Jesus, a woman that we deeply esteem, prayed a prayer of surrender when she said to the angel, after the angel announced her coming pregnancy, let it be to me as you will. That's a beautiful prayer. And for us to be able to end our prayers of lament and grief this way, let it be to me as you will, is an echo of Habakkuk's prayer. She prayed this prayer even though she knew life was going to get very difficult. Let it be to me as you will. God graciously hears us when we pray. We have much to thank him for and be grateful for, even as he invites us to entrust ourselves and our unanswered prayers to him. Can we give him our unanswered prayers? Are you living with something that feels like horror to you right now? Or maybe it doesn't feel quite like horror, but it is deeply disappointing and it really hurts. Can you entrust that thing 
that circumstance, that disappointment, that whore to God? Can you entrust yourself, your family, your friends to him? And then can you take that next step and actually worship him? Worship him as Habakkuk is teaching us to worship him. God longs to hold us, to comfort us, to sustain us in the good times and in the hard times. Will we allow ourselves to worship him even as we lament? So I would like to ask us, women with broken hearts, women with anxious hearts, women with doubts and questions and fears, anxieties, will we still worship when our prayers are unanswered or answered in ways we would never choose? Will you choose to pray Habakkuk's prayer? If you will, please join me in prayer, and I'd like to invite you to stand again, and we'll pray this prayer together if this is truly the prayer of your heart. So please stand and pray this with me. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Amen. My prayer suggestion for you today is that you take some time to go back through Habakkuk's prayer and put it in your own words for whatever you're facing today. This is a practice that's good for us to do every few months because we always have something new we can bring, a new situation, a new trial, and in that place we can choose to worship. So that is an idea for your afternoon tonight. Thank you.